Financial problems can be stressful, exhausting, and embarrassing. At the law offices of John T. Orcutt, we've been practicing bankruptcy law for more than 30 years. We've seen it all, and we're here to guide you through this uncertain time. Tune in as we walk you through the bankruptcy process, the myths, the misconceptions, the secrets, and answer your questions that have been keeping you up at night. Ready to put this chapter of your life behind you? Let's get fresh started. Today I spoke with Rodney Deborah. He is a mortgage loan officer. Specifically, he has been helping current and former bankruptcy clients with their mortgages. He has put together a one-page overview of that process, and it is called the Steps in Refinancing or Purchasing a New Mortgage. The first half of this episode is about doing those two things during an active bankruptcy case. The big point is that for many people, it's very possible. We start by going through the steps he has laid out, such as the plan confirmation requirement and proof of six on-time payments, re-establishing credit and building with a secured credit card or becoming an authorized user. He also takes a personal touch to look at your situation by asking about your refinancing goals and what you want to achieve. If all that lines up, then we talk about the documents that are needed, motion to incur debt filed with the court. We compare and contrast the options of FHA, VA, and USDA. The second half then touches on the options for people after discharge of their case. The good news is that for some, it may be years earlier than expected. And some people had a foreclosure before or during their bankruptcy case, and this brings them additional doubt and worry. Rodney sheds light on their options, and there are some. I asked him for advice for future homeowners and what other bankruptcy attorneys should know when talking with their clients. Lastly, he turns the tables and asks me some questions about what happened with early termination of Chapter 13s. Overall, I hope you all find this episode useful because owning a home is still a centerpiece in the American dream, and people like Rodney bring many families one step closer to theirs. Rodney, thank you for joining us today. One thing I wanted to go over that everyone should have access to, there will be a link in the description below. There's these steps in refinancing or purchasing a new mortgage. So this is for people inside of a Chapter 13, and they often have a lot of questions about how to time this or what they need to do and what information they need to give. So on the first one, it says, after having made six payments under a confirmed Chapter 13, have a client obtain a copy of his or her credit report. The reason why I said to obtain a copy of the credit report is we want to kind of see where the credit at, where the credit scores are. From there, I can help determine a timeline of when I think the client will be able to purchase because the bankruptcy, the derogatory items are going to fall off, but we don't know how fast they're going to fall off. So that kind of gives me a gauge of what we're working with. And that way I can give the clients an expectation of what type of timeline we're looking at. One that I've recommended for people to use in the past is it's not very clear where they can get a free credit report. So everyone note annualcreditreport.com. If you go to a site and it asks for your credit card, you're at the wrong place. So you get a copy of each report once per year per person. So that's TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax. Those are your big ones. I think the fourth one is like a Novus or something. And also, the other thing, just for everyone, the word confirmed. Most Chapter 13s do confirm between the three and six month period. It's rare that one goes past that, but it can happen because there's a lot of deadlines in the case that limit it to the you know, six months. 
how should they get the credit reports? Should they send them to you or they should they send them to us? Paper, PDF, do you have a preference? Whatever's easiest for them, I'll be glad to work with them and then we can find the best solution. Actuality, it may be better if I pull my own credit report because doing it that way, that takes the work off them. And more importantly for me, I can look at our format because I'm used to reading them. I know in like five minutes what we need to do. And we also have what's called a wayfinder, which kind of tells me what clients need to do to get to a certain credit score range. Maybe just better let me pull it. Hey, that's even easier. Less work for everybody. Now, they should still probably look at their own as well, but they can be voluminous. Credit reports used to be a lot smaller for the one you pulled as a person, and now everything fit on five pages is now 20 pages. And that's what leads to the next one. After pulling a credit report, the potential client may want to look at obtaining a secured credit card with a low credit line as a way to increase their score? Yes, I've seen a lot of clients do that, and it's really helped. The credit line, it can only be two to $300. What it does is the two things that help bring your credit score up are derogatory items coming off of your credit and new credit that's been paid on time. Those are the main two things to get the credit scores increased the fastest. How would you recommend they find a card? Should they maybe do a Google search or should they just go to their bank and see if the bank has an option? They can do a Google search of secured cards. I have a link for secured cards as well. But the thing is they want to make sure it's secure because they'll get approved faster with a secured card because a secured card is just a credit card that acts as if a debit card. That's all it is. You have a money on deposit. So I had one, so if we roll back the clock about a decade ago when I was experimenting on myself with rebuilding my credit, I had one through my bank and I've seen some where the money, you know, if you put 300 down or whatever, that money stays until you close the card. Actually, with my bank, it was after you had used it for like a year, then they actually released the money. And it was even better because I think. On mine, and this isn't for everyone, but it's at least something to give a little bit of hope is I think I had made two payments on that card. And because it was through fifth thirds, even though I went to my bank, I mean, it was through Capital One. Two months later, I got a credit card offer for from Capital One because they're like, hey, you made some payments on time. You seem decent. Here's a different card. And that was an unsecured card, but it had a lower limit too. But at least that one allowed for limit increases about every six months or so. And the one thing I'd probably add is with any card, make sure it reports to all three bureaus. Otherwise, you're doing the work and you're not getting the credit. No pun intended. Uh, The next you had was about being added as an authorized user on someone else's line of credit. Uh Uh-huh. I've seen that work as well. Uh, Because a lot of times people have a fear that they're not going to get approval for a credit card. And they have relatives that will gladly add them to their credit card because really all you're doing is adding a person to it. The biggest thing, if you're going to do authorized user, just make sure the person pays the debt on time because that can hurt you as well. But with authorized user, you have 
protection for yourself because they got got into a situation where that account is bringing your score down. They can always remove themselves. And important things about being an authorized user, you're allowed to use the card, but you're not liable on the card. And how it used to work is if you're added to, let's say I get added to my mom's credit card and she has five years of on-time payments, it seemed like they almost copied and pasted a better part of that credit history onto my report. And I, I kind of got slingshot forward is what it looks like. Are there certain people maybe they should look to being added as a authorized user? Maybe the first person might be a spouse who didn't file bankruptcy? Anyone that didn't file bankruptcy, that's the biggest thing. Even if they did file bankruptcy, it's just the fact that that positive, that's another card that has a positive payment history. That's going to help. On the next one, you're talking about talking with potential clients about what they're hoping to accomplish with a refinance or refinance, like example, refinancing out of an arm. Yeah, the biggest thing when we're looking at refinance, I have a situation with a referral from your office. Now I have a gentleman. He so desperately want to get away from his current mortgage company. But when I started looking at the numbers, at first I wasn't seeing any type of benefit. And in North Carolina, within a refinance, we have to fill out what's called a net tangible benefits worksheet before we submit a file. Because basically what we have to show is how this refinance is benefiting you, whether it's saving you money, getting you cash out, changing from an arm to a fixed rate, lower your interest rate. And after me and the client went through it, it's not going to really save them money from a payment standpoint. And one of the biggest things, because doesn't owe a whole lot on this mortgage, but he said he wants to do a couple of things to his house. So we're going to treat it as a cash out refinance. And that's just something I can justify that. And how are rates right now? They've been on the rise a little bit. 30-year fits for FHA, they're running... Probably, I've seen them lowest three and a quarter now. That's good. I had a situation, another one of your clients, where I sent in the information to get the permission to refinance. They're in the Eastern District. And Justin came back to me, asked some questions. You know, he said the trustee may think the rate's a little bit high. And I told him, if we were in January, the mid-January, I would agree. But rates have been climbing a little bit over the last couple of months. It started right about the time when they had those snowstorms in Texas. And it's just a function of the economy seeming to get better. And I sent links on that as well. Because the biggest thing is, yes, we're all out here. I want to help as many people as possible. When I do a refinance or purchase, yes, I get paid. But I want to make sure that the client is benefiting from my services as well. Just so everyone knows, I think the trustee would actually also appreciate anyone switching out of an arm because they have to make the change in their system. Like every time the rate ticks and changes up or down, they do not seem happy about it. So the next one you're talking about, you would need a copy of the most recent mortgage statement or a copy of the note. And you also mentioned proofs of claim. I need that so I can determine what their rate is and what their monthly payment is. Because a lot of times, People don't keep up with that, especially when the mortgage is included in the Chapter 13. They're 
a lot of that information is taken care of by Mr. Orcutt's office and the trustee. But I still need that because what people don't understand a lot of time is the mortgage company and the bankruptcy are two separate entities that we don't communicate with each other. And we have to meet guidelines for both sections. Both parties have their own sets of guidelines where they have to meet. So for the proof of claim, I hate to volunteer any law firm too much, but they could just have their attorney go grab the proof of claim and send that over to you. Now, well, actually the attachment to it normally, right? Yeah, that would work. And that's normally, we can just get that as a PDF pretty simply. And the other one, because the one, the first thing we said was six on-time payments to the chapter 13 trustee after confirmation. So you do need to verify, well, actually you don't, I mean, whoever's doing the, the loan has to verify that they have made all those payments on time. And you had an important thing in here about there could be an issue with if they've had waivers or some other reason why they were late. Yes, because and this is the number one problem that I have is clients will bail in a payment, said they bailed in their February payment on February the 27th. It wasn't processed by the trustee till March 5th. Well, in the bankruptcy's eyes, that may be fine. But in the mortgage eyes, they were late on their February pay. That's why I suggest, if all possible, you have a payroll deduction or if you had a way where you could go online and make the payment, that way you post immediately. And that way we have some paper trail because the payment history is a rule that they're hard and fast on. There's no waivers to that. I can't get around that. And a lot of clients said, well, I was paid in advance. And one lady, unfortunately, I wasn't able to do the refinance what she was trying to purchase because I looked at the payment history and it just had, it had consistently where she pay on one month and it was the next month before that payment was processed. I had to be the bearer of bad news about that. Is there any delay for when people pay through the trustee's website where they pay online? No, because it looks like when they pay through the trustee's website, it looks like it posts immediately. Okay, that's good news. And that's fairly easy. And our trustees, at least I know, I dealt with one more than the others, was, has been encouraging that for the past couple of years. And instead of having payroll deduction, and some people, their jobs, they might be self-employed and payroll deduction is just not an option. There's a thing in motion to incur debt. And I think the important thing for that is getting a mortgage is not very quick. I mean, it's as quick as it can be, but there is also that extra step of the motion to incur debt. And it's in defense of judges and the law and trustees. The reason they do that, it's not just for mortgages, but they are trying to make sure that you're making a good decision. Like if someone's, I'll give you an example other than what we're talking about, even you know, if you wanted to go back to school and finish your degree, then incurring student loans, they'd be like, good for you. This was a good thing. But no, if you were like, I need to finance that boat, they might be like, whoa, <laughs> not, not yet. And what types of 
just saw it here at the bottom. I have an FHA mortgage and I've been completely fine with it. So FHA, VA, and is USDA on your menu? USDA allows for it in their guidelines, but it's a lot tougher to get the USDA passed. USDA with a chapter 13. If someone's a veteran, VA is the way to go? If they're a veteran, VA is definitely the way to go with that. Are there any benefits aside from the, isn't it less money down or zero down? VA is 100% financing. The veteran is just responsible for any closing costs that the seller does not pay. With FHA loans, the borrower is responsible 3.5% of the sales price plus any closing costs that the seller does not pay. The last thing, and we do get these questions pretty often, are about so the, all this was for someone during a Chapter 13. And this doesn't really apply for someone during a Chapter 7 just because Chapter 7, 95% of the time, only lasts about 90 days or three, you know, three months in and out and done. But there's still an option for people after Chapter 7. And so that's the sort of two-year rule for them to keep in mind. With Chapter 7, you can be eligible for purchasing a home or obtaining a mortgage. But with Chapter 7, you have to show that it was an extenuating circumstance that caused the Chapter 7. And I was able to get a lady approved. It's been years. I know 15 plus. What happened was her husband passed away. And when her husband passed away, her household income was cut in half and she wasn't able to handle everything. So that's why she filed Chapter 7. But when I show Chapter 7, when I show that with the extenuating circumstances, it comes with more documentation and you have to be able to prove it. Two common things that people try to associate as extenuating circumstances are not from a lender standpoint is that's loss of job and divorce. Unfortunately, they don't consider either of those is an extenuating circumstance. Pretty much medical reasons for out of work or, like I said, death, those pretty much are the only two that fall into the extenuating circumstance category. All this was also during a Chapter 13. So if someone is, let's say they're one year out, they they finished their Chapter 13 in the past year, and are they good? As long as, do they have to show payment history or anything with the trustee? The underwriters still will want their payment history to look at that to make sure they made everything, made their payments on time. I'm working on a file that's a referral. And by the way, I appreciate you guys for your support. And he's a gentleman that he filed two bankruptcies, one in 2006 and one in 2014. And underwriter was asking for W-2s from 2011, 2012, 2013, and 2014 to match up with the explanation he gave of that he was out of work due to injuries. And he was able to produce half of that. And at first I was like, this is a little bit excessive. So I got what I could. He was able to give me 2011, 2014. And I sent that in. And then the underwriter came back asking for the employer to write a note about the records of when he was out and talk about the income doesn't match up. And I was looking at that information that did match up. I talked to my manager's manager, 
And we got this straight now because Allison, 1% of the population will know where their 2011 and 2012 W-2s are. I say all that to say circumstances does happen. I've done loans where people have multiple bankruptcy. I was able to get a lady approved where she had multiple bankruptcies and a foreclosure. So we had to properly document it. So things can be done. I tell everybody, every situation is different. Let's sit down and examine things, and then we go from there. I have a few questions, but these are ones that I've gotten. So what if someone has had a recent foreclosure? Maybe, you know, they filed a 13 or something because they couldn't afford their house anymore because they lost their job. Do they have any options during the case or it's okay if it's bad news? I'd rather people know the truth. Do they have a longer wait time or less options? Three years from the date of the foreclosure sale is their time frame that they have to wait. Okay. With VA is two years. Okay. That's still better than what I was expecting. Last two questions, but they are related. What advice would you give people who are struggling with that? So let's say maybe they're renting right now and they might file bankruptcy soon or they recently filed. You know, what advice would you give them about their dreams to own a home? Go ahead and file bankruptcy if that's the route they're thinking about, because the sooner you take action, the sooner you're going to be able to put yourself in a position to purchase a home because the bankruptcy helps you restructure your debt. I tell people all the time, I've worked with bankruptcies over 20 years, and I see people file a bankruptcy in about three years, they have a 700 credit score. And the reason why is because after they the plan is going to cause those derogatory items to come off. And between those derogatory items coming off and them getting a security card here and there, that, that's what's going to help bring the scores up. And outside of bankruptcy, I've only bought one house and my information's old. But if you had anything in collections, to get like a normal mortgage without including bankruptcy, if you've got debts, that might be an issue that has to be addressed. Depends on what they are and how much they are. Medical collection is not a big deal because everybody gets sick. But when you have like numerous like cell phone bills for different carriers and like gym memberships, it kind of look at that. And, you know, it's a case by case. And what about judgments? Judgments have to be paid off prior to closing. or You have to show that you've been paying on those for at least three months. You have to have a payment arrangement set up. When I say paying on them, can't be a situation where the payments are $100 a month and you just pay $300 one time. Now you have to show at least a pattern. That's the general rule. Sometimes an underwriter will want to see 12 months. That's one of the things that's kind of in the underwriter's discretion wheelhouse. Last big question. Since we're not the only firm in North Carolina that does bankruptcy law. What advice might you have for those other bankruptcy attorneys? They're looking at a client and that client's asking, hey, look, I need to file bankruptcy. Can I ever own a home again? And often we just had to punt because we didn't know. What advice would you give to them? What they do and what I'm going to get back going is what I'm doing. I was mailing out information to different attorneys about that. But then the pandemic hit, 
And then I had, had my medical setbacks, but I'm getting back on my feet. But the biggest thing is there are people out there that know how to work with people that are in bankruptcy. A lot of loan officers just tend to go out for realtors and stuff. And I typically get, I like work, working with the clients with the bankruptcies because I understand and I know what's going on with them. And I generally like to help people that don't think they can purchase a home. I got a question for you. A client yesterday, his dilemma is he wants to sell his home, purchase a new home. He's gone under contract, but he said no one told him that he needed to get permission to sell his home and permission to purchase. And I told him he's already approved through Veterans Administration. I guess it's some type of uh, company that works with veterans. I told him, yeah, that's fine. You can work with them, but I would advise you work with somebody like me, especially with what's going on, especially the time frames that you're working with, because you need somebody to speak on your behalf that people can trust. But he was real nervous about it. And the thing he's nervous about is because he's afraid that the trustee is going to do something because he's making more money now than what he was then. And when he told me the numbers, it was only like a $400 difference. And I told him that shouldn't be a big problem, but Justin referred him to me. So I was like, that's more of a Justin question. So there's a couple of pieces to that. When someone does their sort of final signing to file their case, we give them notices way up front, and then we give them additional notices at that last signing, things that they need to know about. The thing is, it has a lot in there, which is a good thing, but it's also, it has a lot in there, so it's a bad thing. So it can get lost in there. And it's only good reading if you're trying to get to sleep. And so that has things like the motion to incur debt and motion to sell. Otherwise, this was actually a conversation we had. Tuesday morning was how do we let people know who are in the middle of a case about this? And so we've been actually working on a system of sending out texts and emails to our to stay better in touch with our current clients to let them know. And just maybe, you know, if they got an email from us every six months, just put like a little thing in there about it. Just, hey, just remember if you're looking to do this or this, keep us in mind. Talk to us beforehand not our closing is next week. So we're trying to work on that one. And I mean, the court actually sends out a notice also. But once again, it's got a lot of stuff in there. And about the change in income, that's one too. That has actually been a moving goalpost since 2005 when the law changed. Because the, we, there were several big cases that came down afterwards about and how what I mean is our duties and the client's duties to report any changes. And so the bar kept kind of creeping up more and more on that about, because I think actually the notice from at least one of the judges and probably all of them now, notice to clients were about you're supposed to report any changes, positive or negative in income or expenses, chance for a change in circumstances. I mean, then the change to the negative could even be that someone lost their job and or maybe this isn't the best route. And hey, even we would like to know because maybe we need to convert the case. And then also give 
one positive, the reason why the trustee and the judges have sort of or want to know the reason why that's there about the motion to sell. And that one is, it's not really in the client's favor necessarily. It is a safeguard for them because I'll give you a bad example. Bad example is someone files a case January 1st and the house is listed at a $200,000 value. Six months later, they want to sell the house. They say, hey, look, we're selling the house to XYZ people and we're selling it for $250,000. And both the trustee and the judge go, really? That's a very interesting. It's because bankruptcy law is very old and there's a long history of sort of shady activity. And so it's kind of a safeguard to them to make sure that maybe was, okay, was that initial value correct or not? And also, if someone were to actually really have legitimate, a huge rise, like maybe they just put in a bunch of development around their area and it's all booming and they found gold or I don't know what the other reasons are, because you can still exempt only so much where like a married couple, they could exempt up to 70,000, but maybe it went up even so much more than the court and the trustee still want to say, hey, 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 you, you get to keep this and roll this equity over to your new house. But this extra 20000 that was on top, that needs to go to your unsecured creditors. They still have a horse in this race. They still have rights. That's why. Okay. And one more question then, I'll be there. You said 2005, when the laws changed, that's about when they stopped people from being able to pay their Chapter 13 off early without a penalty, didn't they? Yeah, that's a big one. Before 2005, there was no means test. It was really... You took your, it's called Schedule I, Schedule Day. You took your income and then you minus your expenses. And that was how much money you had. And with 2005, you got the means, the advent of the means test. North Carolina may have been the last state because it changed for all states around 2005. But we actually kind of grandfathered in on some other stuff as the early termination where you could end the case sooner. And we fought that tooth and nail for like another five, six, seven years. But I think we were the last state left, or at least it went all the way up to the the Fourth Circuit, so right below the Supreme Court. And uh, we finally did lose that one. You know, I wish it was back because it helped. There were sometimes, bankruptcy is only three, four or five years, but sometimes things change and you don't need all that time. Or you can get done, you can get things done, you know, in a year and a half. And it worked really well for those people, but I don't think that one's coming back. It'd be nice, though. We'll see what uh, Elizabeth Warren does. She had a pro- one bill proposed back in January. But I think a lot of people appreciate this information. And just to end on a positive note, because, you know, when you have kids, hell, even if you have a dog, you know, you want your dog to have that backyard to play in. You want your kids to have, you know, the neighborhood with the sidewalks to skate down. Owning a house is makes you feel a little more complete, makes you feel like a person. And it feels like you're providing a, a home for your family. And also at some point, as I've owned a lot of apartments, eventually you get really tired of the person that vacuuming the floor above you at two o'clock in the morning for some reason. <laughs> Having your own space is uh, is very valuable. And so we appreciate what you do. Well, no problem. I appreciate everything. And if your clients ever want to talk to me directly, that's fine. Have them give me a call. I'm not one of those guys that want to get a referral, tell people, go to my website and fill it out. 
I like to talk to everybody first. And if they want to fill out an application from the website, that's fine. I do like to have that initial consultation yeah, because I don't want to make them feel like they're just a number. Yes, everyone likes that personal touch. All right, thank you so much. And we'll talk another time. Thanks, Sean. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Orcut Answers. To learn more about today's discussion or to schedule a consultation with one of our attorneys, visit our website at billsbills.com or call us day or night at 888-234-4190. The insights and views presented in Orcut Answers are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. We are a debt relief agency. We help people file for bankruptcy relief under the bankruptcy code. If you're ready to talk to someone who understands what you're going through, contact the law offices of John T. Orcutt today 